This is the Urban Political, the podcast on urban theory, research, and activism. Hello, and welcome to the third episode of the Rent Strike series from Urban Political, a series about the Veritas Tenants Association's ongoing multi-building rent strike against San Francisco's largest landlord, Veritas Investments. It's been a while since we last checked in, so I'll give a very quick recap of the strike before we talk to Brad Hearn, lead organizer with the Housing Rights Committee of San Francisco, who's been assisting the tenants in their strike. In the first two episodes, we discussed Veritas exploitative business practices, the history of the VTA, organizing against corporate landlords, and the potential of multi-building rent strikes in the corporate landlord constellation. This rent strike began on June 1st, 2023, after Veritas defaulted on a nearly $1 billion loan for two separate portfolios backed by more than 2,400 rent-stabilized units. Currently, 65 households from across six buildings are withholding rent. In addition to substantial improvements to their buildings and rent reductions, tenants are demanding a say in the terms of sale of their homes and recognition of their tenants' associations, invoking San Francisco's unprecedented union at home ordinance which guarantees the right to organize and bargain collectively by classifying it as an official housing service. Here's a short clip of one of the strikers speaking at a protest in front of Veritas headquarters in January. We began our strike on June 1st, 2023. Since then, Veritas has repeatedly refused to recognize our tenant association, while also demanding our rent in violation of state law. It is unacceptable that San Francisco's largest landlord evades accountability and then gets away with it by not paying their own bills and losing our building. Our elevator is still broken. All the fire safety equipment is broken and expired. The building has more mice, rats, and bed bugs than ever, and we're still getting hit with illegal fraudulent utility bills. Although Veritas placed a bid on its own delinquent debt, seemingly attempting to renegotiate the terms of that debt, they lost the bid on the smaller portfolio to the Prado Group and the larger portfolio with more than 2,100 rent-stabilized units to a partnership between Ballast Investments and Brookfield Properties, a subsidiary of the Toronto-based Brookfield Corporation that owns and manages more than $850 billion in assets, including Berlin's Potsdamer Platz and New York City's Zuccotti Park. Meanwhile, the anti-eviction mapping project recently published a report naming Veritas the Bay Area's worst evictor, while Ballast Investments came in second place. That means that thousands of tenants and their rent-stabilized homes are being handed over from one corporate landlord to another, pursuing the same predatory practices. This begs the question why the city didn't intervene to take the buildings off the private market, something we'll discuss later in this episode. So Brad, Ballast Investments and Brookfield officially took over the 75 buildings on January 18. Tell us what this new landlord means for the tenants and whether they've had any communication or negotiations with the new landlord. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I think this is quite possibly the worst outcome that could have happened in terms of of possibilities outside of it. Uh, And so for, for... Quick context, uh, Ballast Investments was founded by ex-employees of Veritas Investments right. um, some some years ago. And, um, and 
they got financing from Brookfield, which is a massive real estate firm with a history of union busting against the hotel workers union and, and, and speculative strategies on rents. So, you know, for, for such a massive portfolio to go from uh, one company to the other that are pretty much in the, the, the same family um, is a real disappointment uh, for, I think, the San Francisco uh, government. Um, however, it, it has raised some interesting possibilities that tenant leaders in the VTA are now beginning to discuss as they are now finding themselves on strike against uh, three companies now, actually, at once, um, and 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 what that means for the bargaining table and um, and their their union going forward. And talk a little bit about that. How this shifting target affects a strike? Are the ta- are the tenants changing or expanding their demands? And how is their organizing with their ballast tenants? What what's happening with that? Yeah. So. Um, we had a, a, some recent sessions with tenant leaders from from striking buildings, and there was really overwhelming desire and energy to to not just continue the strikes, but also to continue to attempt to do what we're kind of calling joint negotiations or joint bargaining, where where the tenant associations in particular buildings consider themselves. Uh, as one union across multiple buildings and across multiple companies and so um which is of course how labor unions often operate in terms of multiple companies so so um while the union at home ordinance is a building specific ordinance it is not meant to it's not setting a ceiling on on the possibilities of organizing on the ground so the tenant associations by seeing themselves as part of a union a larger union under multiple companies also just signaling to the companies that their solidarity is is pretty is unbreakable um and that regardless of the change in ownership they're going to be talking to each other strategizing together and publicly fighting together and what would that mean for negotiations in practice? Yeah, I think what it means in practice is that tenants are asserting similar demands. They're aware of each building is aware of the other of other buildings' demands. They're aware of timelines. They're attempting to line up negotiation sessions so that they're occurring uh, around the same time together. They're doing press conferences together, um, and they're saying to the company that they're negotiating with, look, Ballast, if you want to reach an agreement with us here at this building, then how are things going at this other building? Um, and then how are things going at this other building that is owned by Veritas? Um, and so it's forcing these companies to act in a way that they'd probably, that they have just not been, that they totally would not expect that, um, and that they would balk at, they will balk at, and haven't already have. Um, but at the same time, when a, t- a group of tenants are on strike in a building and they have and they have strong leverage against that particular company, then then 
you know, this this like unwieldy, unrealistic demand to then look at another building on, on a different company suddenly becomes, well, okay, what are they what do what do they need over there to reach an agreement so that we can that we can reach an agreement here? Well, and that's one of the really big pieces of news is that some of the strikers have been able to force negotiations and to force concessions. Um, can you talk about the strikers, how the negotiations, you know, talk about the negotiations themselves and their concessions the tenants were able to win? Yeah, so it was important for us to set some type of standard at one of the buildings. Um, and the tenants were able to do that at 3214th Street. It's a 16-unit building in the Mission. Um, it was one of the two buildings where tenants started the strike on June 1st of 2023. Um, it's a majority Spanish-speaking building. And um, on the eve of their sale to a company called Prado Group, um, Veritas basically came to the table and said, okay, like, what do you all need? What do you all want to, to try to resolve this? The tenants had also filed a lawsuit in San Francisco Superior Court. Um, so they had basically, you know, brought as much leverage as possible at a very particular and vulnerable moment for, for the companies where they were trying to make this sale happen. Um, and so pretty much the day before the sale was set to go through Veritas, um, their initial offer was a 3% rent reduction for the strikers over a, a like a nine month period of time, which is very, like 3%, very low. And the, the tenant union started, the tenant association started at 90%. So there was an 87% gap over the course of three or four days the Veritas moved from 3% to 75%. Wow. Um, and not only did, and then for a 12-month period of time, instead of nine months, they also canceled, they rescinded rent increases that they had already imposed um, and refunded amounts that tenants had paid. And then, um, and then also dismissed multiple eviction lawsuits that they had filed uh in court so so it was an agreement worth about a hundred thousand dollars in rent reductions and refunds going into this new owner um and while the tenants as a condition of agreement did dismiss the lawsuit they did not end the strike so the strike continues under the new company prado and um their first negotiation session is in person this thursday at the building. And so Prado has to, the Prado group has to honor the contract that they signed with Veritas as part of these negotiations. That's actually an interesting thing that we're not sure Prado fully understands. <laughs> so um yeah, so that's going to be a point of discussion on Thursday is whether they understand that that uh like you know, we want to make sure that they like if someone's rent was lowered that they have the lowered rent on their right. on their on their rent roll, and then also that they agreed not to just impose that increase this year. So so Veritas rescinded the increase, but they didn't have the power to tell Prado, "Hey, you need to not impose this increase next year." 
it's like the banking rights that landlords have in San Francisco to bank and then impose increases at a later date. So so that's one of the points of, of discussion that'll happen is like, hey, this was rescinded by the prior owner and we are expecting that that you're not just going to impose it now. Um, and they're going to, it's going to be tough for them to, to, to deal with probably, but but at the same time, these are not small companies and, and they can afford to help uh, preserve the level of affordability and also i mean uh, these tenants are rent burdened already these are these are rent these are rent stabilized units but these are not low rents for 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 working class people in the mission so um yeah. well, so that's a really impressive win for the tenants and i think says a lot about union at home and what that piece of legislation is able to do for tenants can you talk a little bit about that yeah, I mean, I think it, what it has done is what we hoped it would do, which is encourage tenants to think about how they get a majority of their neighbors on board for 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 uniting behind things they care about. Um, just that idea that hey, look, I'm gonna have to go talk to neighbors to make this happen, and I might not have talked to them before is a pretty radical idea um, in the in the tenant landlord world. So, yeah, it, it, it's exciting. I know the city of Berkeley. Um, in California is going to have a ballot measure on the 2024 ballot to do to do something similar to create a similar framework for tenants in Berkeley and it's interesting the the United Automobile Workers the UAW the grads the the academic worker local out here for the University of California is a major backer and sponsor of that ballot measure so it's it's it, that's a it's a cool example of a labor union yeah. getting in and, and wanting to invest money and people into making this happen for another city and then i know that new york state group and groups in new york state have started drafting something to try to pass at the state level in, in new york for new york wow and so these um negotiations that will take place on thursday what what would what will that look like who will be present at the negotiations yeah so so um Every member of the tenant association, um, ideally, um, we have a, a prep meeting tomorrow night, but the goal is to have every member there, um, myself, the tenant's attorney, his name is Tim Kelly. Um, and then I'm not exactly sure who Prado will bring. Um, it's a good indication of how seriously they take the negotiations, depending on who they send. Um, but we've sent them what we want to talk about. So if they show up unprepared to talk about those things, then, well, that's a indication of how seriously they're taking it. And it's also a violation of the ordinance. So it's in their court how they want to do that. But, you know, we're going to, um, we try to, we always try to do negotiations so that the, the members themselves are present, like physically present. And this will actually be Veritas has always refused to meet in person. So this is actually refreshing that we'll get to meet in person with the company and that tenants are prepared to speak in a disciplined and organized way. Um, and yeah, it requires a lot of preparation, but it, it when it goes well, it's one of the most powerful things. And has um, Brookfield Ballast, have they indicated that they're willing to negotiate? I think they're like 75% of the way there. They want to I think they want to try and make a really good impression that they're better than Veritas. Um, 
you know, at, at 434 Leavenworth, that's a large, it's a, it's a, it's a 69 unit building. It has one of the highest numbers of strikers because um, it's a majority on strike. Um, they have a lot of leverage. They have filed a lawsuit <laughs> against Veritas as well that they, uh, so we basically have said to the ballast, look, if you don't want us to amend the lawsuit, look, if you want to try to close end the strike and you don't want us to amend the lawsuit to include you as the new owner, then here's what we want to discuss. Um, so the tenant association has said that to them and, uh, and once has, has requested the negotiations to be joint with 709 Geary, which is another building that went to Ballast in Brookfield. And then the more challenging but important building to pull in at this stage is 781 O'Farrell, um, which is still Veritas. It's not part of either of these portfolios, but Veritas has filed four eviction lawsuits against strikers at that building to try and break the strike. So we're we're basically attempting to leverage the, the, the power and strength of where Leavenworth is at and Geary is at to to support uh, the members at O'Farrell who are getting hit with a more aggressive crackdown on on their strike. So that's the current that's that's some of the the that's the current plan. And so if we zoom out a little bit, there's at this moment there are kind of two concurrent processes, one being further consolidation of residential real estate such as Blackstone planning to acquire Tricon Residential, which holds more than 38,000 units in the U.S. and Canada, and the other being companies like Veritas defaulting on loans. And so corporate landlords being at risk of defaulting or actually defaulting on loans creates an opening for tenants to strike even more strategically and for cities to begin reining in corporate landlords by taking over some of these buildings. And I know that this is something we've discussed before. So can you talk about what you see as the potential here, starting with the tenants? You mentioned last time that Veritas has another large portfolio that they refinanced in 2022, which might be on a similar trajectory to these other loans, and that one of the buildings where tenants on strike belongs to that portfolio. Yeah, I think it's actually now two or three, the two other buildings that we haven't I haven't mentioned yet. Um, one on Ellis Street and one on Powell Street. I think they may also be part of the O'Farrell portfolio. So, yeah, so there's a portfolio of a lot of number of other buildings, 50 to 60 buildings that was refinanced a couple of years ago. They got, they refinanced with a bank called Natixis, um, which I had never heard of, but it's an international, international bank based in New York. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'm curious on the, the trajectory of that loan and its maturity date. Um, and, you know, so I think that what, you know, just like this portfolio that went to Ballas Brookfield, actually, we made, we made risky for Veritas even before the pandemic, like this was the same loan they were trying to sell the same portfolio they were trying to sell in, in 20, late 2019 and early 2020. So this isn't just a pandemic thing, you know, and so there's actually a strategy there that, that the tenants are kind of pioneering, which is like, hey, if you know the loan, if you know the portfolio, you know the loan that's backing it, you know the bank, you know the invest some of the key institutional investors, then how you create a crisis for those different players um, at the leading up to the maturity date of the loan. 
So it creates a really interesting timeline that is actually makes a lot of sense for like for an organizer and for the tenants like, oh, they need to pay this by this date. So we're going to make it difficult for them to do that along these months leading up to that date. So so I would hold it rent. Right. Right. So it makes it, it, it. When you put the pieces together like that with people, it like starts to make. It makes sense. Right. And so this Veritas portfolio, what when when is the maturity date? I don't know. I have to I, so yeah, I I that's uh research a level of research I need to do and, and hope I can do through the the documents I can get access to through the assessor's office. It's based I I don't know actually if the maturity date is anywhere in there. I imagine it is. Um and so that's this strategy requires access to these documents. Yeah, so if it's like in the deed, right, or or in the statement of financing, which is at the assessor's office, then we can start to put together the timeline. And so let's talk about the potential here for cities to act. As you mentioned in the beginning, this is kind of the worst possible outcome for the tenants in San Francisco. um, This big portfolio going to another big corporate landlord who's basically pursuing the same practices. Um, so l- before the pandemic, I know that ver- the VTA was discussing with the city, the city potentially taking over some of these buildings. Can you talk about that communication with the city back then and now? And if you have any indication why the city chose not to intervene? Yeah. Yeah. And, and really to be clear, like what was going, what was happening right before COVID started, um, and the shelter in place order was declared was that Veritas was trying to sell the 76 building portfolio 75 um and super the supervisor dean preston um he was taking the lead but there were other but but other supervisors were were very much on board um and trying to basically convene a table with the vta and prospective buyers um and what was interesting is that and to this day i don't know who the buyer this this potential buyer was there was someone who approached supervisor preston's office and said hey i would be willing i'm going to try to bid on this portfolio um and i would i would agree to negotiate with the vta i would agree to put it on a timeline for selling to the city at low cost um and whatever the VDA wants to talk about, I'll talk, we'll talk about it. Like, so basically like a decent buyer who was willing to then put the money up front to buy the buildings and then sell them to the city at low or like for a dollar some year down the line, which is actually like maybe even better <laughs> than trying to get the city to buy them outright. At market rate. Yeah. So like, basically it was like, private buyer putting up their money to try and you know be like the a, a, a force of reconciliation in the dispute and then um and then sell to the city for for for, for a low cost down the line it, it never happened because of covid and the sale didn't go through um and this time around the 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 funding sources in the city the budget that would go to acquisition have been reduced or or not expanded um so even like 
one of these buildings, especially the bigger buildings, would be a tall order for for the organizations that do acquisition. But yeah, the, the, none of the supervisors, I don't, I don't know if it was just, you know, competition with all the other things going on, but none of the supervisors and no one in the city like came out and said, hey, we need a plan for this. So we should do something about this. Right. Um, and it wasn't for the lack of VTA trying. <laughs> and there were and there was press on the default. There was, you know, the, the, it was widely reported. Um, so everyone in City Hall knew what was going on, but no one stepped forward and took leadership to help negotiate a different outcome. So what happened is, well, of course, it would happen how it did. Like, right. The strike expanded on December 1st and again on January 1st, so that it's now these six buildings. Um, does it look like the strike might expand to other buildings? Uh, possibly, yes. We are um, starting to talk with a couple other with tenants in a couple other buildings. Um, and I think the, the strong agreement at 14th Street helps set a standard and help and provide some concrete proof of of how this can work um it remains still like a very you know these are very challenging conversations rent strikes are risky they're risky in a way that certainly a sanctioned labor strike is not um and yeah it takes a lot of work and the the but you know that said like i think with with the tenants what we're trying to do more now is have tenants from from striking buildings visiting the other buildings that are preparing to go on strike so it's tenants talking to tenants constantly it's tenants take prioritizing making and taking the time out of their week when they're doing they've already been doing their own jobs and their own and, and, and taking care of their own families to go to these other buildings and say hey this is what we have been doing this is why we need you and this is why you need us um and yeah, I don't think I think that if that's the really the task for an organizer at this stage is like training and training and training, like training members to have these conversations, then prioritizing talking to their own neighbors and then neighbors in other buildings. So, yeah, and I think that we're making some progress there. Well, good luck with their negotiations on Thursday. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and we're excited to. Keep following the strike. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate it. For more information, visit our website, urbanpolitical.podigy.io. Please subscribe and follow us on Twitter.